Poor old Butterfingers, caught at last. Cranston squinted down at the scrap of parchment and studied the date. Cutler had been hanged four days before Christmas. Well, he murmured, just in time to join the angels, if he didn't steal their halos. Cranston crossed himself, pattered a prayer for the faithful departed, pinned the execution docket back and turned his horse's head. Once again Cranston stared along the winding path which snaked north of the old city walls. The cloying river fog had swept in, thickening the dense mist which swirled over moorfields. A heavy pall of freezing whiteness had descended, smothering sight and sound. Somewhere deep in the fog, the bells of Clerkenwell Priory boomed out the summons to divine office, calling the faithful to prayer on this, the ninth of January, the year of our Lord, 1381, in the octave of the Epiphany. Christmas, Yuletide, and the Feast of the Kings were long past. No more revelry, Cranston ruefully thought. The green holly with its blood-red berries had withered. No more Christmas feasting on a juice-packed goose or brawn of beef in mustard sauce. The jugs of claret had been filled and emptied. Cranston had danced a merry jig with his lady wife, Maud, his twin sons, the Poppets, dancing beside him, and Gog and Magog, his two great mastiffs, throwing their heads back to carol their own deep-voiced hymn. No, the feast and the festivities were certainly over. Soon it would be the feast of St. Hilary, and the courts would open, Cranston would return to the Guildhall to sit, listen, and judge over a long litany of human weakness and mistakes, as well as downright depravity and wickedness. Our master Clumshaw did feloniously beat upon Matilda Luxim, and did cause her death other than by natural means. Bion abruptly skidded on a piece of ice. Cranston broke from his brooding. He stared around the bleak white wilderness, then back at his own retinue, an entire convoy of mounted men-at-arms wearing the city livery under heavy serge cloaks. They sat, horses close together, quietly cursing why they had to be here. Cranston gripped the reins of his own horse, his fingers going beneath his cloak to strike the pommel of his sword. When he first arrived here, he'd found it boring, freezing cold, highly uncomfortable. But now... The mist abruptly shifted and parted to reveal ruins, which, some claimed, dated back to the days of Caesar. The Lord Coroner blinked, straining both eyes and ears. Had he glimpsed movement? Had he heard the clink of metal? Bayon also became agitated, as if the old warhorse could smell the approach of battle. See the lowered lance, hear the scrape of sword and dagger, the creak of harness and the ominous clatter of war-bows being strung and arrows notched. Cranston quietened the Destrier, fumbled beneath his cloak, and brought out the miraculous wineskin, which never seemed to empty, took a deep gulp of the blood-red claret and sighed in pleasure. He pushed the stopper back, even as he wondered what Brother Athelstan, his secretarius and closest friend, would be doing on a morning like this. Probably preaching to his parishioners about the common good, Cranston whispered to himself, 
He breathed out noisily. Athelstan's parishioners. Were they, or people like them, responsible for bringing him and the rest to wait by a frozen gibbet at a desolate ice-bound crossroads, for a delegation travelling as fast and as furious as they could from Dover? Was an ambush being planned, devised and carried out by the upright men? My lord coroner! Cranston whirled around. The sergeant of the men-at-arms had pushed his horse forward. Sir John, with all due respect, we've been here long enough to recite a rosary. And we'll stay here for ten more. Cranston snarled, then shook his head in exasperation at his own cutting reply. Come, come. Cranston lowered his muffler with his frost-laced gauntlet. We are here.